Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right and head to Twisted Willow Soap Company and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. Words and magic were in the beginning one and the same thing, and even today, words retain much of their magical power. Welcome to Practical Magic, the 80th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 19th century psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn Ode's mother. So let's start with our housekeeping. Housekeeping. We have a couple of new patrons. Yay! So, and... Can we get a drum roll? Nobody knows how to do a drum roll. We now have 100 patrons. Holy cannoli! So, a lot of y'all. We love you, patrons. So, Positive Patience is a new hunter. Welcome, Positive Patience. Mm-hmm. Tamara Poifair is also a new hunter. Vivian Armstrong is a new cat. And Jim Two Snakes is a new hey! hunter. Hey, hey, Jim. So, Welcome. Welcome to all of our new patrons. We are so glad you're with us. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then a couple of other housekeeping things. If you're looking for somebody else to sponsor, mm-hmm. Pagans in Need, so Patreon dot com forward slash pagans in need right. is a food pantry mm-hmm. for anybody. It right. just happens to be mostly donated to by pagans. Right. Based in Lansing, Michigan. That's right. And their building has been sold out from underneath of them. And yeah. so they are in need of a new, at least temporary space. Right. So having some extra funds would be helpful. So if you just go to patreon.com forward slash pagans in need mm-hmm. and donate for those who are regular listeners, this is Bill L. Mm-hmm. Who runs Pagans in Need? We love the guy. There's actually a whole episode interview with him yep. about Pagans about in Need. Pagans in Need. So feel free to jump back to whatever episode number that is and listen to it. But yeah, there's a chance for you to help out somebody else who right. uh, is in in need right now. That's right. Gwen leaves Thursday. Yes, very Penfeacon. very early for Pentheacon. Yes, ridiculously <laughs> flipping early, like three a.m. Uh, <laughs> we have to leave here at three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. which means I won't be sleeping at all. Please still be awake probably when we leave. So. Uh, yeah, probably. When we'll be there until you fly back on the 18th? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And then... And then on the 19th... 19th, we leave to drive to Detroit to convocation. That's right. And as QQ just said, sleep us for the week! <laughs> <laughs> So it's going to be a really busy two weeks for me especially, but busy for you guys too because convocation is packed full of stuff. Well, and while you're gone, Mm -hmm. we're going to be packing up the house so that right after convocation, we we can can move. move. Oh my God, that means I missed the packing. (laughs) Ooh, yay, yay. (laughs) You say yay now, but that means you're going to have to figure out what's in the boxes when we arrive at the new location. Well, that's what the markers are for. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, sure. We'll see. No, I'm just throwing shit in boxes. <laughs> no, that's, out later. that's perfectly fine. I had to box up the entire house. The last mm-hmm. move. Yeah, because I was so. out of town. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. Now it's the Ode, other way around. Ode gets stuck having to do it yep. both times. I do. I, I'm just trapped with the packing, apparently. <laughs> 
So I covered Pantheacon. Mm-hmm. I covered Convocation. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, yeah, that's it for our so. immediate housekeeping. Yes. Today we are going to be talking about uses of magic that's throughout right. history. Oh, it's so much fun. So much fun. So this episode's a little different. We're not going to be talking about the mechanics of spellcraft mm-hmm. or, you know, the fundamentals of religion. We're going to be just talking about, like, how, how they, they used to do it. How they did the thing back in the day. That's right. And oh my God. Sometimes very way back in the way back. Let's start way back in the way, way back. Okay, well, way back in the way, way back, I think everybody knows magic goes long before recorded history, mm-hmm. right? Our ancestors, that as they were still dwelling in caves, yeah, well, were there, doing there sympathetic are, magic. Yes, there are theories. They don't know exactly what all the cave paintings mm-hmm. from Neolithic times mm-hmm. were for. That's right. right. But there is some theories. Conjecture. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's conjecture uh, in some scholarly circles that the herds of animals mm-hmm. that were painted uh, into some of the caves were perhaps intended to draw those herds into the hunting grounds. Oh. Mm-hmm. That they, that the, uh, because the caves are like underground, they're not like communal areas. Right. So it's thought that these were thought to be sacred places and that the artists or the, maybe the magicians of right. the tribe would go down into these sacred places and paint what they were trying to draw to the area mm-hmm. into these sacred places. There's also indications, I know that like in uh, even in the Neanderthal, like with their burials, they, they had rituals with their burials mm-hmm. and they believe that some, possibly some of the artifacts that they have found within these burial sites could potentially have had magical, magical or ritual significance, or ritual yep. significance for their afterlife. Right. Yep. So magic goes back a long, long way. But, I would um, say magic and mead. Really, really, yeah, that's true. It goes back a very long time. And if you if you want to talk about um, Norse mythology, they're very connected. Yes, exactly, (laughs) very connected. What I'm going to share with you now is some of the stuff that the Greeks used to do and their magic practices. And this first one I'm going to tell you about. It kind of makes me laugh when I when I, I read it. I can tell. <laughs> There's lots of forms of magic that use some kind of an effigy. Well, apparently the Greeks used effigies as well. They did, with, cor- with uh, cursed tablets. And mm-hmm. Well, cursed tablets, yes. But no, I'm talking about actual magical dolls. And a lot of these were used in love magic. These were actual effigies of a man and a woman, and apparently they were meant to look like the, the male figure should look like Apollo. And the female one would be on her knees in front of Apollo. The male figure was actually in the process of chopping off the female figure's head. Very romantic. (laughs) Yes, very romantic. And basically the practitioner who wanted to claim this, whoever this person was, would then stab the needle into the true love's brain. It was a bronze needle and they would be screaming something to the effect of, I pierce your brain. To claim this person. And then finally, they would grab a lead tablet to write a message to Pluto asking him to do the things like prevent her from eating and drinking until she comes to you or drag her by her hair, her guts, by her soul to me. Yeah, so so the curse tablets, which are something I've always found really, really interesting and Mm -hmm. which were used for basically all magical purposes Mm -hmm. uh, in ancient Greece and Rome, they were really, really thin sheets of lead. Mm -hmm. So then they could be rolled up 
or like pierce through with a nail. Yeah. Because lead's a very soft metal. So they right. beat the lead very, very, very thin. And then they would etch the curse or the spell. It was usually a curse, but not always a curse. They did right. sometimes write love spells on them right. or things like that. The most common examples that we have are curse tablets. You'd write the thing on it and then you'd roll it up very small mm-hmm. and it would be stored underground somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like it would be thrown into a well mm-hmm. or sometimes it would be buried in someone's grave. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, if you were going to bury it in someone's grave, part of the curse would be calling upon the spirit of that person to help enact your curse. Mm-hmm. Not just in love magic, but they did sometimes use dolls um, with curse tablets uh, to represent the figure who was supposed to be cursed. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they would put like the, the person's hair on the doll to mm-hmm. as a sympathetic magic thing to establish that, that this doll represented this person. What I think is interesting about curse tablets, mm-hmm. especially in ancient Rome, is that they were almost certainly being sold commercially. Mm-hmm. We know this because many of them had like a standardized curse form with a space left blank for you to, to, fill, for in. You to fill in the name of the person you were cursing. This is, you know, commerce and magic has uh-huh. gone hand in hand for me. And I'm, I'm laughing over the, you know, over the, the description of what they would do with these, mm-hmm. these dolls, but it's like, my God, what coercive magic, mm-hmm. love magic. I've always felt like love magic was, is coercive. And this takes all the ambiguity out of it. All the ambiguity out of it. Apparently, magic was cool if it was religious based, but if it was something along the lines of these curse tablets and things like this, then it was considered to be superstition. Super, yeah, to be superstition or what we would call witchcraft. So there were actually laws on the books in ancient Greece and Rome about witchcraft Mm -hmm. and about curse tablets specifically. Mm -hmm. But it was only if your curse killed someone. So you could be brought up on charges. And in fact, we have records of like a woman who was brought up on charges because her curse tablet killed her stepson's mistress. There were legal consequences for her. So a lot of curse tablets, especially the ones that were sold commercially, mm-hmm. would stop like just shy of ordering death. Just So it would be like, how much can I inconvenience you? QQ Ann said, well, I do say love hurts. <laughs> And I wanted to break into song. I also want to share another spell, turning someone invisible. According to a 1,700-year-old spell, you have to say these words. Asusio, dim the eyes of every man or woman when I go forth until I achieve as many things as I wish. Then you just have to soak a few ingredients in the oil with crocodile dung and rub it on your face. Good. Good. Ideal. All right. So I thought that was pretty cool, too. <laughs> I think if you're walking around with a face mask made of crocodile dung, people, people are ignoring, ignoring you, you for another a reason. whole other reason. Yeah. reason. Yep, exactly. <laughs> there were also cursed tablets, which were aimed at thieves and other criminals. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there is, like, a whole school of thought among certain scholars that those cursed tablets were different and not frowned upon because they were aimed at outlaws and criminals, right? Gotcha. So those were the socially acceptable curse tablets that you could get much more easily and display in public as part of like a a show of public justice. And so they prefer for those to be called judicial prayers. Were they basically the first like wanted posters? Kind of, yes. (laughs) Like you go to the post office and there's these curse tablets tablets, (laughs) up on the wall. Nailed it into the... they did sometimes nail cursed tablets in the walls of temples, yes. <laughs> 
So oh my gosh. There you go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there were a lot of love potions. Right. Apparently love was, you know, number a big nine, topic. if nothing else, yes. <laughs> but um apparently there was an ancient Greek spell that tells you to drown a scarab in milk for four days. Okay. Then pull it out and cut it in half. Bind the left half to your arm with myrrh and saffron. Then take the right half of the scarab, the nails from your right hand and foot, nine apple seeds, and as much of your own urine as you can get, and mix it into a ball. Finally, put that in a glass of wine and give it to the person that you want to love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think don't that will have the very opposite, opposite effect. effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's just part of the spell, though. Because okay. once you've convinced, convinced your crush to uh-huh. drink a glass with your urine and all this other stuff right. in it, what you need to do is have them go to sleep and then eventually have sex with them. While they're asleep? Pretty much. So it's rape. Cool. Good good rape there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yep. Rude. Rude. Rude, says Rana. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Gross indeed. Yeah, it is gross. Some, some of these spells Oh, were, many of the ancient spells were, were very gross, either gross. in terms of their components or their, like, moral implications. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the moral implications yeah. were, like, what we consider very questionable or offensive. Yeah. Such as this. Yeah. Right. Something else interesting about, you know, Greek love spells is that scholars originally thought that, so they're, like, two classes of Greek love spells. There are, or of Greek love curse tablets. There's a class that is designed to inflame the ardor of the target. And there's a class that's designed to attract the affection of the target, right? So, like, one is basically a lust spell, and one is a fidelity spell, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. And originally... People thought that those spells were cast by men at women. And there was, like, a lot of debate about whether they were cast at either fair, chaste maidens who they were trying to attract or at, like, strong-willed partners who they were trying to retain. More recent evidence has suggested that they were used by men and women. Women used them slightly less frequently than men. But Mm -hmm. they also broke down in terms of who was using which kind of spells. So men used the lust spells Mm -hmm. more frequently, and women used the fidelity spells more frequently. Interesting, interesting. And, of course, um, there's also magic words. Magic words Mm -hmm. were very important. The voces magica. Exactly. and Which were nonsense words, basically. They were. First civilizations in Mesopotamia, Mm -hmm. they were the ones that really started. And it continued in Greece and Rome. Exactly, Egypt. And there even is still to this day, there is, I guess, a recorded set of... Mm-hmm. Voces Magicae. Voces Magicae. That many practitioners will still use to this day. Nobody knows what they mean because as right. far they're as not, we know, they're, they're nonsense They're words. not words in any language. Nope. So without a cipher, they can't be translated. It's not clear that a cipher was ever created for mm-hmm. these words if they ever meant anything except to the individual practitioner. The original idea with the Voces Magicae was that you couldn't speak to the gods in human languages. Mm-hmm. It was like speaking in tongues. So if you're familiar with the Christian, what, what it's a gift of the yeah, spirit. spirit, yeah, spirit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so the gift of the spirit of tongues in Christianity is the idea that like God will uh, I guess possess a Christian uh, who is sensitive to this particular gift 
and that person will speak in a language that does not exist, which is supposed to be the language of God, and the, God will touch someone else in the congregation to be able to translate that language into a human language. So the Voces Magicae are a similar concept, except it's in reverse. The idea is that not that the gods must speak to you in a non-human language, but that to catch the attention of the gods or the mm-hmm. spirits, you have to speak in their language, mm-hmm. which is necessarily not a human one. Right, right. So it's not clear how the Voces Magicae were come by or whether they even ever meant anything in, in human terms. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that it's still used in ceremonial magic. Right, and but but again, the meaning of them is, is lost. Yeah, yeah, Nobody knows really what if, it means. If, ever if it ever wasn't. had anything yeah. other than you use it. This is magical. This is magical. Yeah. You use it as an invocation of magic or to start a ritual. Another thing I found interesting, and then we can get off some of the less savory forms of magic <laughs> we've been talking about. There's a Persian spell book that teaches how to improve your own magical power and experience a vision of the divine. And while you can't speak, it's magic-inducing powers. The Apparently, you'll see some crazy stuff. <laughs> so what they would do, Persian sorcerers were told to spend 90 days building up their magical power by entering a room, actually living in a room where a woman was not allowed to enter. Okay. They had to eat as little as possible. So basically, they Fasting. were doing a fast and say nothing but magical words and stare at the ground for 90 days. For 90 days? Yes. That's a long time. Hence the reason they would see some really crazy shit. Yeah. Right? yeah. By the time they got, they were experiencing visions and yeah. altering, you know, entering altered states of consciousness. That's basically, that was a big part of what Persian sorcerers would do to connect to the gods, to create and increase their own power. I mean, that is, that would alter your state of mind. Absolutely. Which is what you're doing when you try to... So... And uh, also, there's some, I think, really good comments happening in the yeah, Discord. Yeah, what's going on in the Discord? Uh, basically, Rana is saying that she is not ever going to say words she doesn't know the meaning of in magic. And then Finn follows with, if I don't understand a word or can't speak properly, I ain't using. You want yeah. demons? That's how you get demons. Actually, I went to... When I went to that crossing, and that was one of the stories that she shared, she said, never speak words as a spell unless you know what they mean. Right. And she gave a... And we've talked about this before, about the importance of having clarity in your yes. in your spell work. Having clarity in your um, spell work is incredibly so important. So there's an interesting sort of dichotomy here where like the word occult means hidden, secret and hidden, mm-hmm. right? It ha- it's from the same root as occluded. We're working with a practice that has elements like, you know, secret magic words mm-hmm. that no one knows the meaning of, right? Like mm-hmm. and those I wouldn't say those are for everyone. I certainly prefer clarity in my work, but I can can see why in occult practices mm-hmm. that would become normative in certain circles. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's important that we understand how our ancient forebears right. practiced magic and how even in spite of some of the more unsavory elements, there's still a lot of connectivity with how they did magic and how we do magic today mm-hmm. using herbs and crystals and images and words and potions and things like that. We haven't really changed that much. Ours have just refined as our, and changed as our as our norms have changed. changed And And as our understanding has changed. Exactly. Exactly. As our civilizations have changed. QQ says no pee. There are actually still people who use urine and magic today, QQ. Yep. (laughs) 
uh, in uh, curse bottles and things. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pee and blood and hair spit. and yeah. spit and nails. Yep. Menstrual blood, says so yeah. yeah. Menstrual blood. Bodily fluids in general. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to admit it. I have. So it's yeah. part of magic. Yep. It's just one of the less savory right. parts of it's it. Not, right. It's not the part <laughs> you put on Instagram, let's say. Right. You could just know pee drinking. Yeah. Yes, I agree with uh, you on that. <laughs> depends on who you are. And if you're in a survival situation, I, I guess. Suppose, I suppose. <laughs> well, and I think it's also important to remember, too, that, like, for instance, the Egyptians, they would use all kinds of incantations and spell work for everyday needs. You know, mm-hmm. they'd use it for healing. If someone, if a woman was infertile, she'd use it to become pregnant, you know. Right. There's all kinds of things, just like today, all yeah. kinds of reasons that people used magic. We're just kind of sharing some of the more extreme. Right. The dramatic <laughs> stuff. The more extreme d- dramatic <laughs> stuff from the past, which... The stuff that really makes an impression. Yes, <laughs> it really does make an impression. It does indeed. Join our tiger Amanda and relax with the salts of Wonderful Body Co. These soaks and scrubs inspired by popular books and characters are designed to delight multiple senses with fragrant scents and sparkling mica. You can also find a small selection of rollerball fragrances with a couple of dozen options available. You're sure to find something you like at Wonderful Body Co. Collections. This week, Ode is recommending the Moon Magic Rollerball Fragrance with notes of citrus, rose, and nutmeg. Find Wonderful Body Co. online at wonderfulbodyco.com or go directly to the shop at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash wonderfulbodyco. I absolutely love Wonderful Body Co. Yeah, I highly nice recommend stuff. it. If you haven't gotten it yet, you need to get some. I love the moon, the moon magic. magic. Oh, yeah. it is so nice. Now, Gwen is very excited. Oh, my gosh. I think the very first time I ever heard about a hand of glory hmm. was on a Buffy the Vampire yeah, Slayer episode. Yeah, I think it probably was. <laughs> yes. I think Giles has one in the magic Giles shop. Giles has one in the magic shop. But honestly, I think I've had some kind of a heard of it in passing or mm-hmm. in stories or something. Because the Hand of Glory is actually a pretty famous archaic right. object of magic. An right? artifact. Yes, an artifact of magic. Okay, so first of all, there's several different ways that someone might use a Hand of Glory. Right. But how it's made is by severing the hand of a criminal. A hanged man. A hanged right? man, yep. A hanged man, usually a murderer, mm-hmm. it's usually either their dominant hand, so okay. usually their right hand, unless somebody who they've done some really evil things and there was a belief that the left hand was had more, the evil in has it. the evil in it, uh-huh. but usually a lot of times it was the right hand okay. is what would be taken. In the Petite Albert, which is a grimoire, an ancient grimoire, mm-hmm. there's actually a very detailed description of how you make a hand of glory. Uh-huh. And what you do is you cut off that hand at night right? while the hanged man is still on because the gallows. Because it's illegal. Yes. That's why. It's they, illegal. Like, that sounds like it's for esoteric reasons, but it's really because of the legality. Yeah. So you cut off the, the hand of the murderer who has been hanged, mm-hmm. and you wrap it in linen. Okay. And then you would put it in probably, I guess it would be like a clay type of a vessel. vessel. And it would be in a solution of saltpeter, salt, and a kind of pepper. To preserve to it. To preserve it. And you leave that in there for two weeks. Okay. And then you, and of course, before you've actually wrapped it up, you squeeze any extra blood or anything right. like that out of the hand. Any, any juicy bits? We any don't, juicy we bits. We do not want a juicy hand. Nope. 
We are looking for a very dry hand here. Exactly. And then after the two weeks of being in the solution, you put it out into the sun, and it's usually meant to be done during the dog days of summer. It's specified as the dog days of summer. So it's like August. July, August. And you leave it out for several months. Okay. If, however, you do this and it is not summer, you can put it in an oven, and then you bake it in an oven with vervain and fern in and you bake this or leave it out in the Which sun. Which is, I'm just going to say, if you bake it in your house, it's going to create a whole smell situation. That's probably what the fern and the vervain are for. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you wait until it is very completely desiccated. Uh-huh. Oh, and I should mention that there are two ways that a hand of glory could be positioned. Mm-hmm. So if it was going to hold a candle, right. you would position it first before you put it in the solution. Because it's going to lock up. Because it'll lock up. Either that way or you make sure the fingers are straight if you're going to use the fingers as the candles themselves, okay. because you can do that. So once it's completely dried. This you got a little mummy hand. Got a little hand there. Got your mummy hand. You, If you are going to use it lighting the fingers itself, mm-hmm. you would dip the fingers in candle wax. Right. Right. And then. And presumably you get a wick in there somehow? Usually you use the hair. Of the, oh. of the, if you take so you have hair. to also harvest some hair from yeah. this corpse. Mm-hmm. Because the by the, the time the hand is ready, the corpse will be off that gibbet. Although so. you can also just use the nails too because it has the wax in there too as well. Oh, okay. So, But anyway, if you decide not to use the hand as the candle itself, you would make a candle out of the body fat of the hanged criminal. Just take the whole criminal. Just take the whole, get out. <laughs> Slice off some stuff Just there. take the whole corpse. You're going to need all the pieces. <laughs> I thought you could just go up to the gallows no. and slice off a hand in the middle of the night, but you're going to need, like, an accomplice to help you carry this corpse. <laughs> I think, and from what I was reading, it seems like a lot of the, a lot of the lore has the hand itself being used as a candle. Uh-huh. And so probably not as many people would have would have used it by making the corpse candle out of the right, body fat. Right. And there's other ingredients in there too. But but anyway, if you use the hand of glory, it was primarily used by burglars and robbers and highwaymen. So the people type. who are already That's inclined right. to steal corpses. Exactly. And supposedly, once it was lit, mm-hmm. anyone in its vicinity who was asleep would remain asleep, basically for in the a coma. Whole, for the duration of the candle? Exactly, for the duration that the candle was lit. And the only thing that could douse the light mm-hmm. uh-huh. was milk that had mm-hmm. been pasteurized, essentially. So they called it blue milk. Okay. This was before pasteurization. Right, right. Was really a process. Exactly. They called it blue before milk. Before pasteur. Exactly. This is the basic story, the basic basic lore that uh-huh. goes with the hands. The folklore. The folklore. There was an inn, kind of an out-of-the-way inn, and it was very late at night. They hear a knock at the door. Turns out there's this beggar. It's rainy and yucky mm-hmm. and out. So this beggar asks if they can come in and spend the night. The kind innkeeper says yes. They can sleep in front of the fireplace. Okay. Everybody goes to bed, except the maid, because the, the owners were like, just kind of stay up. Make sure that mm-hmm. everything's keep okay. An eye on the place. Keep an eye on the place. And in the middle of the night... She hears something strange going on, and she looks and sees the beggar has pulled a hand out of his pocket, mm-hmm. and he's lighting each of the fingers, and he's going around and saying an incantation, mm-hmm. saying specific a words, spell. saying a magic spell. And so she runs to her master's room and tries to wake him and tries to wake other people. Nobody can wake. In some stories, she surprises the burglar mm-hmm. and shoves him out the door, locks the door. She's running 
about trying to to wake to everyone. Wake, well, she does that, but when she realizes she can't, she runs back to the hand, tries dousing it with beer, tries dousing it with water, and then finally picks up a pail of milk and dips it in there, and that is what allows the candle no, to the be doused, to go out. and everybody wakes up, and they rush out, and they arrest and hang the burglar. Who then gets turned into a hand by right. someone else. <laughs> it's interesting, because... One, the hand is said to keep everyone either asleep or frozen as if a dead person. Right, right. It also is said to make the holder invisible. It is also said to unlock any door. So it's really a perfect thief's tool. It's a perfect thieves' tool. Exactly. That's what the Hand of Glory really was associated with, was was thieves and burglars and, and robbers of various kinds. And interestingly, Hands of Glory were around from about the 16th century through the 18th century. That's pretty good run. Uh huh. And during the 16th and 17th centuries, they were actually, uh, that was often what a witch was accused of making Hands of Glory. And selling them to, to people. So that was, that was usually one of the, one of the many reasons somebody mm-hmm. would get arrested. But they believe that the Hand of Glory was actually created or the name came from a confusion with how the French said the word for mandrake. Because that was pronounced mandragora. And it got basically converted into man de glory. Mm which became Hand of Glory. Gotcha. Because a mandrake root... The root looks like looks a hand. Like, like a desiccated hand. Like a real hand. fucked up hand. Exactly. Yeah. So there's some belief that perhaps they meant to use a mandrake root right. in the, as this Hand of Glory. So, and so, so it like went maybe the original there. folklore was that mandrake roots could make you invisible. Mm-hmm. And exactly. then it became... You chop off a dead man's hand and do a real elaborate preparation exactly. process. <laughs> and one of the reasons they think that is because yawn medieval days. QQ says that's a logical progression. Yeah, really. <laughs> well, and relics and icons, body parts, they yeah. were collected back yeah. then. That yeah. was the thing. Yeah, the relics of saints. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and their bones and yeah. Burglars and murderers, they would have their hands cut off and they would be if they put were caught, up yeah. if they were caught and hanged. So the offending punishment yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the punishment body for a first offense theft yes. in many parts of Europe was to have a hand cut off. Exactly. And then it would be put on display. As a warning to As other thieves. As a warning to other thieves. There's some thought that perhaps that progressed from being right. the Man de Glore to, which was a mandrake root. Right. And someone a, put that, put hand of glory together with thieves a, getting their hands chopped off exactly. and was like, hang on. Exactly. Now, interestingly, in the Petit Albert, there is a way to counteract Oh, the okay. How do you do that? Of, that seems like important information to have. Yes. If you so. don't have milk to hand and a maid who's a way to handle <laughs> the situation. Exactly. And um, basically what they did was they would make a an unguent or a salve uh-huh. from the gall of a cat, okay. the blood of a screech owl, and the fat of a white chicken. This would be created into a salve, and then it would be spread over the lintels of the door mm-hmm. and over the, around the, window the windows, any place of entry. All the entrances, yeah. And that was said... To, to prevent, to nullify, yeah, to nullify the effects of a hand of glory. And they also said that create a smell situation in your house. Oh though. yes, I, I would think <laughs> so. But they also said that a lot of times thieves were caught, supposedly because they miscounted the amount of 
of people that were in the homes. So, like, each finger represented a person. Oh, that the hand could contain. That the hand could contain. And so if there were six people in the house, you're fucked. Or Unless if there you were, get a guy who had six or fingers. If, yeah, right, yeah. The six-fingered or, man. Uh-huh, yeah. right. Or, as in the case of the maid, there was one person was awake. awake. Right. Yeah. The spell he utters, basically, in that story is that those who are awake stay awake, those who are asleep well, that stay seems asleep. like a serious... And he didn't realize that there was though. someone... A flaw yeah. in, in the... Yeah, in the incantation. In, in the structure <laughs> of that spell. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And apparently... Because insomnia is going to be a real bitch for that one. Yeah. Luckily, we don't have those anymore for the most part. We just have jazz hands and spirit fingers. <laughs> so Interestingly, you know. there is one hand of glory on right. display in a museum in England. Yes, and Gemma is actually going to see it. Rabbit. Hey! The Whitby Museum. Yes, the Whitby Museum. Exactly. Yep. There had been a hand of glory on display in a pub in England that was stolen in 2010. We don't know where that one is. And then there was another Hand of Glory in Germany that got stolen in 2012. We don't know where that one is either. Nope. So there's two known Hands of Glory with unknown locations. That's right. The problem is you can't find them because the people who have them are invisible. That's right. Exactly. Because they've been putting shit on their (laughs) face. Rana says, says, look for the house full of sleeping people. Right. Right. That's right. A lot of it reminds me of, remember the monkey's paws? Yeah, it reminds me a yep. lot of that. Very so. similar yes. vibe. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Join our tiger Kelly on a visit to Tree Wizard Creations, where you can find custom engraved creations for all paths. They offer unique gifts and tools for altar, home, practice, and family. In addition to their standard product range, they also offer custom commissions. If you can dream it, the wizard will create it. Contact them at treewizardcreations at gmail.com, or you can go to their website, treewizardscreations.com. That is tree. Wizard is spelled W-Y. Z-A-R-D, creations.com, or you can follow them on Facebook. I love Tree Wizard Creations. I do too. They make we have some really, really cool stuff from really them. Really cool that they, stuff from them. I have one more tale of historical magic that I want to tell. We're going to more recent history now. That's right. Uh, I want to talk about Operation Cone of Power. I love Operation Cone of Power. It's so fascinating. Yeah, I'm obsessed with this. So, in Witchcraft Today, Gerald Gardner wrote about a ritual that he claims took place on August 1st of 1940, which is Lama's Day or Lunasa. Mm-hmm. And 1940 was like right after France had fallen to, to Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. The bombings hadn't started in Britain yet, but the, there was a lot of concern at the time that Hitler was going to invade Britain mm-hmm. by sea, that he was going to cross the English Channel. So the witches of Highcliffe-on-Sea, mm-hmm. which was an area that was very, very close to France uh, on the Channel, was a probable invasion point. It was an immediate concern to the people who lived there. And so that was around the area where the New Forest Coven was supposed to exist. Right. So Gerald Gardner claims that on August 1st, 1940, about 17 people from the New Forest Coven, including himself, mm-hmm. went into New Forest at, to an undisclosed location. There are a couple of suggested sites, but Gardner never revealed where specifically it was supposed to have taken place. Mm-hmm. And inspired by English folk tales of invasions of the Spanish and of Napoleon having been cast back by magical storms mm-hmm. in 1588 and 1805, the witches of the New Forest Coven conspired to put the thought into Hitler's brain by way of magical attack 
Mm-hmm. You cannot cross the sea, not able to come. The idea was, rather than trying to raise a storm or wait until the invasion force was like, on its way, right. they were going to just like cut it off at the source and try to magically influence Hitler. Yeah, magically mm-hmm. influence Hitler, magically brainwash him into believing it was impossible for him to invade Britain this way. Mm-hmm. Gerald Gardner wrote about this twice, and he described it to Doreen Valiant, but Heselton, who is Gardner's biographer, has the best description mm-hmm. of what he thinks this event looks like based on Gardner's various accounts. The event was supposed to be 17 people tromped into uh, mostly like pensioners because most of the people in the New Forest Coven were elderly. Elderly, older Um, people. Tromped into the woods somewhere so they cast a circle, skyclad, because they were afraid to light a bonfire because there were already air raids happening. Right. Like they weren't, like the bombing hadn't really gotten off the ground yet but there were enemy planes in the sky. Mm -hmm. So they were afraid to light a bonfire so they used a shuttered lantern and they put it in the direction of Berlin because that was going to be their focus point because they wanted to funnel all the energy directly towards where Hitler was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And they did a spiral dance, essentially. So yeah. they 17 New Forest witches did a spiral dance in the woods in August, which is a little cold in Britain. Yes, it is cold. <laughs> in the, uh, in the and they woods. were over 60s. In, yeah. In, know, in, in age. Yeah. 70-year-olds. Yeah. Um, in the woods with just the light of a shuttered lantern and danced a spiral dance while chanting, you cannot cross the sea, you cannot cross the sea. Raising the energy and directing it using the lantern as their guideline to Hitler directly. Right. Straight into his brain. And Gardner reported that the amount of energy that was raised during this event was, and that the exertion of the spiral dance was so great that several of the of the older members of the coven actually died mm-hmm. uh, in the next few days. Probably because that. they were sky-clad in August mm-hmm. in the woods, mm-hmm. right. dancing yeah. a lot. And um, releasing a lot of energy. Uh-huh. And so Gardner says, I don't know. I'm not claiming that the New Forest Coven defeated Hitler, but I am saying that Hitler Hitler never invaded Britain. Right, right. <laughs> I actually, um, I don't know. Is the biographer you're talking about, is he still alive? Is he contemporary? Heselton? Yeah, yeah, I believe okay. so. Yeah. So I was watching a The New In Search Of with Quinto, Zachary Quinto. Mm-hmm. And he went with Heselton uh-huh. to the space where he believes this event yeah, took Heselton place. Yeah, Heselton believes it took place at an old gallows tree called the mm-hmm. Naked Man. It's a very prominent tree in the New Forest area close to High Cliff on Sea mm-hmm. uh, where they could have gotten they could have gotten to the location relatively easily. Yeah, and they went to visit it at night on the same approximate mm-hmm. time and on the same day. So they went on Lunasad. Was there uh, a hanged man said, there that they could cut a hand off? <laughs> no, okay, no. no, okay, just checking. But it was very cold. Uh-huh, and they were yeah. like and they were talking about the fact that it was very cold when they were filming. Mm-hmm. Imagine how it must have been for these elderly people doing a spiral dance, yep. sky clad, sending their energy to prevent Hitler from coming. Right. And apparently it's really amazing. According to Gardner, this was not a one time event. Apparently they repeated this casting at least four times. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the war, to hmm. to protect England mm-hmm. and to prevent Hitler from coming. Yeah, my understanding is there there is reason to believe that Hitler had made plans and uh-huh. then suddenly changed his mind. Yeah, so he never tried to cross the channel nope. to uh, to invade Britain directly. Nope, for some reason. Hmm. <laughs> 
for some reason, for some reason. So this is one of those things where like there's not there's not physical evidence, right? Like they didn't like they didn't leave the lantern there and it got buried and we can dig it up now. No, like it's just hearsay and stories, right? But whether it actually happened exactly that way or not, it's a good story, mm-hmm. I think. Um, well, it's not unlike the Hand of Glory, right? You know, it they're stories, they're legends. We mm-hmm. can't know for sure. There were people back then who believed right. that these were true, powerful objects of magic that yep. could be used for these purposes. And we know at least three of them were made. <laughs> and at least three of them were made. There were a lot more in, in use back in the day, according to records. Right. Yeah. So I, I like the story of Operation Code of Power because, A, too. it's very similar to the kind of public rituals that we do now. Mm-hmm. Right. It has a very similar tone. Yep. I've been to spiral dances. Oh, we participated in yeah. the spiral yeah. dance last year. They're very powerful. Yeah. Uh, and I can imagine you could raise the kind Absolutely. of energy that, that they were trying to do here, especially since they weren't trying to create an actual storm mm-hmm. to, you know, to, like in 1588 to throw back the Spanish Armada. They were trying to do something almost more proactive than that mm-hmm. uh, and just cut off the potential invasion before at, it even so- at the source. Yeah. yeah, before it even happened. Our entire online community listening to us live recording this basically want to do this as anti-Nazi magic today. I agree. Not a bad fucking it's idea. Not a bad honestly. idea. We can. I think we can come up with something that everybody can do. Uh-huh. Everyone is now. Together. Everyone's now just talking about Nazis. <laughs> I yep. love Operation Kona Power. Yeah. Silly name, but the but vibe like is psychic there. witch. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's memorable. It's, exactly. And yep. it's true. <laughs> it's that's that's what they were doing was that's raising their Kona Power doing. and directing <laughs> it and exactly. So while we are not actually reviewing a book this week. I do have something to talk about book-wise. Okay. What's that? Grimoires, A History of Magic Books by Owen Davies. That is a good resource. Yes. And so it will actually list a good majority of the hysterical (laughs) grimoires in it. And in the bibliography portion, (laughs) we'll give you links to the ones that are freely available. That's right. And you can actually find, like, the Petite Albert and... Uh, I think that the, the uh, Grimoire of Honorius and others. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the, the book is expensive. <laughs> right. It came out from Oxford University Press, so mm. that's why. Hardcover is about 38 bucks. Okay. Um, it's worth uh, but it. you can get it on Kindle for 15. Hey. So, and paperback for 24.44. Right. It is 380 pages long, talking about different historical grimoires. So, nice. no. I've seen examples of it. It's very comprehensive, very good. He's like considered pretty much the authority on yep. grimoires. Yep. If you want to get a book, I would suggest getting that one. It came out in 2009, so it's a little over 10 years old now. Mm-hmm. But oddly enough, I don't believe we've discovered that many extra historical grimoires since 2009. No. Yeah. No. no. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, as as modern practitioners right. of the 21st century to look at how magic was practiced. Well, and I think what's interesting about looking at historical magic mm-hmm. is that it will dispel any illusions you might have about magic being a fluffy practice. That's right. That's right. It Like, recently, they've been finding, last year, I saw several articles on witch bottles being mm-hmm. found that are hundreds of years old, yep. filled with nails and, and things, and they could and either, urine. And <laughs> urine, and they could either have been for protection against witches, right? Or they could have been been placed as a curse bottle. Exactly. I like what you said, because I think we do have this idea that magic is just all All positive. All positive. There's a lot of, and that's, and I'm not saying that's bad. No, no. I support like positivity. Exactly. I'm just saying that's not, that's not our, 
all of the story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And trying to pretend that we don't, that magic doesn't have its roots in these more sinister mm-hmm. motives and, unsavory and, and, and exactly and, and, and in these unsavory components and things like that. Trying mm-hmm. to pretend that magic doesn't have that history. It's not only factually inaccurate, mm-hmm. right? It's morally disingenuous in in a way. Yeah. Like, it's important to know where your shit comes from, even if where your shit comes from is not a great source, right? right. Even if you wouldn't do it, it's important to know that this was done. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to know what the what our grimoires used to be like, mm-hmm. what magical practices used to be like. And I like what Juniper Shadowcast is saying. Balance is key, and that's, that's true. And Rana is saying the same thing. It is about balance in our craft today. Whitewashing our past isn't going to help anybody. Exactly. Exactly. It's the same way when I talk about, like, heathenry needs to acknowledge that that the modern heathen movement has a lot of roots in German nationalism, right? In Mm -hmm. wartime German nationalism. Mm -hmm. Knowing those roots and acknowledging them is an important piece of being able to be ethical in our practice today. Because if you ignore it, you're at great risk of repeating those those mistakes. mistakes. And that's, that's what it all boils down to, is being an ethical practitioner, really looking at both the roots of where our practices come from, Mm -hmm. but how we employ them today. Mm -hmm. Deciding what pieces of that history, not that we want to acknowledge, because we have to acknowledge all of the history, right? but what pieces of those history we want to recreate Mm -hmm. and which pieces we want to leave in the past. That's right, because there are some practices that we will want to leave in the past because they simply don't fit with what we do anymore. Mm -hmm. With our modern ethos. With our modern ethos. Yeah, or laws. Or laws. Also laws. Of course, they have laws, too. (laughs) Frequently temporary. That's true. I think that's everything we have to talk about. Are we good to go? I'm good. I think I'm good too. All right. Thank you. Oh, oh, I guess we should do. You have to give us. You have to do the thing. No. You never do the thing anymore. So you can find us on yes, Google Finn. (laughs) Finn. Finn. (laughs) Just Google us. You can find us just about everywhere. Yep. Three things uh, that I get. We're on most things now. Yep, we're on pretty much everything now. Are we on TikTok? I'm on TikTok, yes. Okay. As Three Pagans and a Cat. Okay. So, yes, That's we are three. indeed. The number three. Pagansandacat.com. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, on Patheos Pagan, I try to blog at least two or three times a week. Um, I do once a month. It's once a month. And I never blog. Yes. Never. Our car doesn't like writing. Never, never does. But visit us there, and I promise I will eventually start uploading things to the YouTube. Probably not until March. <laughs> yeah, at this rate. Yeah, February's a little busy for February's us. February's so pretty much starting. absolutely mad time. So next, next week. Next week, because Gwen is going to be out of town. Car and I will be doing the podcast yep. on our own, and it's going to be the Heathenry episode. So that's if right. you've been asking for that, that's what's coming next week. Yep. All right. All right. All right. All right. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com.